Hello, thanks for listening to the Total Knee Tips and Pearls podcast. This is Adam Rosen, your host. I'm a fellowship-trained orthopedic surgeon who specializes in joint replacement. In these episodes, I'm going to share with you a lot of my tips and tricks and review classic articles and current implant designs. Thanks for tuning in and on with the show. Hello and welcome back. This is Adam Rosen and you're listening to the Total Knee Tips and Pearls podcast. So we're a couple weeks now uh, from the uh, OITE, so hopefully everyone's had a little break. Um, So I want to get back into Total Knee stuff and probably one of the most common first things that I think most orthopedic gunners, students, interns, and PGY 1s and 2s are informed that they really need to know is the idea of what do you do when you're talking about gap balancing in the total knee. Um, And, you know, at this point, I think most people have sort of memorized that sort of chart. You'll see it in all the books. You see it in Miller. You know, okay, what do I do if my flexion gap's loose or my extension gap's tight? Um, And I'm going to go into that, but even into some more detail. Um, And for each thing, I'm going to try to, you know, kind of add a little brief pause where you have that chance to really think it over in your mind before I go into what I would be thinking and what I would be doing. Um, But it's really important because I find early on with, in fellowship, the beginning of the year, you know, it is this sequence of, okay, examine the knee. You have to kind of process the knee. Okay, what do you feel? And then they have to explain it verbally. Okay, well, then what do you do? And they have to think about, okay, well, going through the algorithm in my head, and then, okay, if that's what you're going to change, how are you going to change it? Um, so that's a process that, again, will only come with time and repetition. You know, because now, for me, I mean, I'm at the point where, you know, I pick a knee up, and you pick it up, you flex it, you extend it, you varus valgus, you anterior posterior, you check it, and then I'm already telling my, you know, tech, okay, um, you know, I need this, we're going to recut the tibia, we're going to recut the femur, give me the cob, I get it release. So that process just speeds up with comfort and repetition and knowledge. So don't try to rush it. But I really want people to, you know, think through because what I'm going to try to do here is go over more than just your basic, you know, recut, recut. Now it is important, and I'm not going to go into it for each little item that we discuss, but obviously if something is not balanced at the end of the case when you go to trial, you always have to reassess your bone cuts, reassess your limb alignment, you know, reassess your slope, you know, reassess your sizing. You know, those are things that should be done anytime it's not perfect because if you start cutting more slope in your tibia because you were tight in flexion, but you didn't take the time to realize that your femoral component was overhanging and really the best thing was to downsize your femur, you made the wrong decision. Um, so you have to really have an algorithm in your head, you know, and for me throughout the case, all of those pieces of the puzzle are being processed. So if I'm doing a case and I'm sort of between a size and a femur, I typically choose to cut the bigger femur because I'd rather go back and cut more bone than cut the smaller one and realize now I'm loose and I have to change that. Um, But in my head, I'm thinking and I'm letting my techno, hey, keep the next size down handy because we may downsize. But if you're not thinking that through the case, then again, you're going to have to process all of these things. So, But every single time that you have something that's not well balanced, again, first, assess your bone cuts. Did you do a good job? Assess your limb alignment. You know, Assess your slope. Assess your implant sizing before you go on to change things because you may have to change something else and not the thing that you thought about. Okay, so 
let's go into the first one. So first one is the easiest one. So you cut your femur, you do your tibia, you do your patella, you drop your poly in, and you're loose in both flexion and extension. This one's obvious. I'm not even going to give time to think about it, but you just increase your poly thickness, and you're going to increase your poly thickness until you get to a balanced knee. You know, this is more common in where you may over-resect the tibia. Um, Maybe they had a significant defect, so instead of taking a minimal resection, you needed to take a little bit more, so you had a flat surface. Um, Or maybe they had a lot of osteophytes that you removed, and even though you took a minimal bone resection, they have over time stretched out their collaterals and their capsule, and now you have to go up in a poly size. So loose inflection, loose extension, increase your poly size. Okay, let's go on to the second scenario. So second scenario, This, again, somewhat easy one, but you go, you do your tibia cut, you do your femur cut, you do your patella, you put your poly in, you're tight in both flexion and extension. And again, this one's easy. Not going to give you too much time to think about it, but this one is cut more tibia. Now, it is important to be careful, especially in older individuals, because I will see people try to flex and extend every knee fully to extension and full flexion. If they're tight, when you put the poly in, and you should, be, you should be assessing that as the poly's going in, going, hey, this feels tight. Don't force them into extension. Why? Well, if they have soft bone, you may actually impact the tibial component into the soft bone. I'm sure you've seen this at some point where you go to take the tibia out and you're actually impacted it in the cancellous bone. It's below where your cortical cut was. Um, or what's worse is you flex it. Maybe you're doing a cruciate retaining knee and you pull your PCL bone plug off the distal femur because you flexed it so tightly. So don't be overly aggressive. You know, there's an art in medicine, but this is one where you go back and you go, okay, I got to recut my tibia, take two more off the tibia, put your, put your smallest poly size in. Now you're balanced. Okay, we're good. Okay, so now, now we're going to get into some of the more complicated stuff. Um, so number three, um, number three, so you're tight in extension and you're balanced in flexion. Okay, so for this one, again, we're going through everything, checking your bone cuts and all those types of things. So for me, if I know that my bone cuts are appropriate, one of the first things that I'm going to do is do a more aggressive posterior release. Now, in someone that has hyperextension or no flexion contracture, I'm not even doing much of a release. I'm taking off posterior osteophytes. However, if somebody has a larger flexion contracture, large osteophytes, I may do a more aggressive posterior release from the beginning. But again, I always kind of talk to people that if you remember those books, the Choose Your Own Adventure books, you know, I'm never really sure until we trial, you know, was the decision to take off more osteophyte, strip more capsule, um, was that a good decision until this point? So if I know that my bone cuts were appropriate, the first thing I'm going to do is go back and release some of my posterior capsule and then reassess. Now, if that is not enough. Or also maybe the degree of tightness and extension is significant. So for me, a little bit of lack of extension, you know, I may release the posterior capsule. Sometimes it's just on one side and it's hamstring tightness where either I can get them into extension. I know that they will with therapy fully straighten um, or release some of the, uh, the hamstrings. But if it's a significant tight extension gap, and they don't even get anywhere close to extension, then we're going to be cutting more distal femur. So go back and recut the distal femur. Now, do you cut the distal femur in everybody with a flexion contracture? And my philosophy is no. Why? Because again, you don't know what the balancing is going to be like till the end. And if you take two extra or more on every knee that has a flexion contracture, and then they have a lot of um, osteophyte, and you strip a lot of the posterior capsule, and now you're loose in extension, 
how are you going to make that up? You know, so now you have a more difficult thing, and we'll talk about that later into how you would make that up. Um, but I always tend to resect a minimal amount of bone. I'd rather go back and recut than take an excessive amount of bone at the end. And sometimes it works out where you kind of go, okay, I took two more. They had a big flexion contracture, and the femoral size is actually too wide, so I have to downsize to make sure I'm not too wide. And to do that, to prevent notching, I have to anteriorize. So now, on essence, I've actually taken two more off the distal femur and two more off the posterior femur, and now my flexion and extension gaps are balanced. But since I don't know that until the end, you know, I prefer to take the minimal resection and then go back and check that later. Okay, so let's go on now. So now now we're going to talk about number four. So number four is just going to be the opposite. So number four, you're tight in flexion, but you're balanced in extension. Okay, so for this one, really the question that you have to ask is, well, what kind of knee were you doing? Um, so that's really, really important here because this is one where you actually do have a lot of options. So if you're doing a cruciate retaining knee, you know, one of the options is you can release the PCL. Um, you can release it off the femur, you can re- release it off the tibia, you can pie crust it. Um, there's lots of different options that you have, but you can do something to release or relax the PCL to balance your flexion gap. Um, at that point, you then have to decide, you know, am I okay with a cruciate retaining design? Do I have a dish design if I release more or even sacrifice it? You know, some people even routinely just sacrifice the PCL and then use a dished poly. So that's one option. The next option is, you know, if you're really, really tight and you're using a cruciate retaining design, you know, the question is, do you release your cruciate completely and then go to a posterior stabilized design? This will give you another two or four millimeters in your flexion gap. You know, but again, you have to have prepared because if you're at an institution where you bring in your implants and instruments for the day and you only brought in the CR instruments and you don't have PS instruments or implants available, it's not an option for you. So you always have to be prepared. And I would even tell most people, even when you don't suspect you're going to need it, if you're a CR person and everything has to be brought in for you, I would have your your, te- your rep back you up always you know, with a tray and implants of PS just in case. Um, Next option, and this really holds true for, you know, CRCSPS, is to downsize your femur. So you're balanced in extension, but you need more room in flexion. And again, it really comes down to, is it a little tight in flexion or a lot tight in flexion? What is your rollback like? All these different factors play into it. But then one option would be you can downsize your femur. So if you're, you know, using... Um, a block anteriorizer block to prevent notching. So you take nothing off the front um, and then downsize your femur, take everything off the back. You've increased your flexion gap. And then lastly, the other option is to cut more slope. And again, hopefully if you needed to do that because you didn't cut enough slope in the beginning, when we went back and we talked about before every single time, assess your bone cuts, assess your limb alignment, assess your slope, assess your implant um, sizing. Um, If you notice, hey, you know what? I actually didn't cut a lot of slope. I'm not sure if it was... The bone was sclerotic. My, you know, if I was using IM, my hole was in the wrong place. Maybe I pinned the block wrong. Maybe my saw technique wasn't great. But one of the first things that you can do is just cut more slope. That's going to increase your flexion gap. But again, there we go. So tight in flexion, balanced in extension. If you're using a CR knee, release the PCL. We'll be back after a quick break. Welcome to Fuller Butts, a behind the scenes plastic surgery podcast. Yes, you heard that right. Join your co-hosts, Dr. Sam Fuller and Dr. Dan Butts, board-certified plastic and reconstructive surgeons on an exclusive full-access pass into the world of plastic surgery. 
Combining their expertise and training, doctors Fuller and Butts will share medical insights, detailed explanations, and lighthearted humor to keep you entertained and informed. We're certain you'll become passionate about the plastic surgery specialty and between debunking myths, uncovering truths, or just making you laugh out loud at their perspective on this creative and artistic field. We've got something for everyone. Completely excise the PCL, go to a CS or go to a PS, downsize your femur, um, especially if it's wide, uh, and then you can cut more slope in your tibia. Okay, so now... Number five, um, so we're balanced in flexion, and we're just a little tight in extension. So this is a little different um, than the other where you're definitely tight in extension, balanced in flexion, but I want to bring this up as a separate thing just because this is a subtle trick that I think, it's in all the books, it's in Insol, you know, people talk about it, it's one of those things I think that gets overlooked, and you have to keep it in mind when you have very subtle, subtle differences um, in your extension. It's not tight enough that you need to take two more uh, millimeters, even one more millimeter, um, because you might then have hyperextension, but you're just kind of off a little bit. And when you see a tibia where, especially if they're soft and you say that, you know, I've taken the tibia, I put it into extension. It felt a little tight, but I've ranged it and now it feels well balanced. And you look and the anterior tibia has actually compressed the bone. You basically did this on your own. But in a harder bone, one of the tricks is actually to take a little bit more anterior bone and no posterior bone. So you're actually removing slope. So maybe you cut a little too much slope and now what you have to do, and you can do this sometimes with blocks, it's definitely one of those things where it's better off if you have the hands enough to do this in a freehanded technique, but you just take a little sliver of bone off the front of the tibia, and then the blade exits on top of the bone cut posteriorly, so you're taking nothing off the back, and that little change in slope will allow the point contacts and extension to give you a little bit more um, stability there with the laxity needed to get into full extension without hyperextension, and you haven't changed your femoral component, you haven't done any more soft tissue releases, um, you haven't changed the um, your flexion gap, but it's definitely just something to keep in the back of your mind in case you get into that situation where you're just a little tight in extension and not so tight that you need to take two more off the distal femur. Okay, so let's go on number six. Um, so let's just talk more about your tight medial. So lots of options, but just think about what happens if you're tight medial only. So the question again then comes into how much have you released? So if you just did a very subtle superficial release, your option is you can release the deep MCL. Um, The other really important trick um, to keep in mind, and this is more with, you know, severe deformities is if you downsize your tibia and you keep it kind of flush with the lateral side and you do a medial tibial plateau bony resection, that is a great tool. It's a tool that I use very, very commonly um, to balance the medial structures when these people have been very fixed and embarrassed, the lateral structures are stretched out, um, and you're running into trouble now because to balance that lateral side, you're increasing your poly, and you're still extremely tight because you have a fixed deformity medially. So this trick of downsizing your tibia, shifting it laterally, resecting medial bone is an excellent tool to keep in mind when you're really, really tight medially. Now, the other option is, you know, the the idea of um, pie cresting the uh, the MCL. I personally am not a huge fan of this. Um, I know some people that do do it and use it. And the reason is that, you know, if you pie crest it in the operating room, um, you may balance the knee. The question is, how do you prevent that from continuing to loosen up over time? 
Um, so for me, I've always been a little fearful of just, you know, pie crusting the MCL. I'd rather leave it intact and release more of the sleeve off of the bone as opposed to pie crusting um, itself. Okay, so let's go on to number seven. So tight laterally. Um, and, and this is one that has a million answers, and I'm not going to go through all of them. Um, you know, it's different. You know, Ron Watt has his techniques, and Krakow has, has te- his techniques, and every book you're going to read, there might be a different sequence of the order of what you release laterally. Um, but you have to keep in mind, again, how tight is it? laterally. And I've always been a believer in I release and relax the structure that's tight because whether or not we're in extension, flexion, mid-flexion, different structures come into play. And also the important thing that I always kind of explain to people is you really have to keep in mind how tight is it too tight? Because the issue and problem that can arise is, you know, if you release your popliteus because people are afraid to release stuff, so you kind of release the thing that's like the least important, and then maybe you, you pie crust your IT band. Some people even do a little Z-plasty. Maybe you release it off of Gerties. Oh, still tight. Now what? Do you, now you release your lateral collateral, and the whole lateral side's open. You know, so now you need some adi- additional constraint. So that is a difficult thing to teach in words, but it is one of those things that if you're extremely tight laterally, one of the first structures that I release is the lateral collateral. Why? I still have my IT band intact, so I still have some lateral constraint. And that is something that you just kind of have to learn over time, but base it on how tight. Is it a little tight? Is it moderately tight? Is it severely tight? And try to get an assessment of whether or not if you release this and this, you know, can you can you open that up? Now, subtly tight, you know, it's definitely important to relook for osteophytes on the femur just below the lateral epicondyle. Stick a little retractor back there, release a little of the LCL underneath the epicondyle. Sometimes you'll find a bunch of osteophytes that you didn't recognize in the beginning, which is why I always make it a habit of, you know, I go through my sequence in the femur. This is part of relooking every single knee to see if there's osteophytes there. The other important spot which I find a lot of people forget to look or don't even think about looking, maybe they weren't taught to look there, is the lateral tibia. So I find that this is easiest without the femur tibial components in there after the bone cuts are performed. Flex the knee up a little bit with a bump underneath the knee, a little bit of valgus, you know, and get some sort of pointed retractor in there laterally. And what you'll find is the contours of the tibia But you can see pretty definitively the lateral osteophytes hiding underneath the soft tissues, and you can remove those with a curette and a rongeur, and that may loosen up your lateral side. But again, if you need structures, again, like we talked about before, always assess your bony cuts, always assess your degree of limb alignment. But at that point, then you have to assess what structure is tight, you know, looking for osteophytes. If it's severely tight, consider doing the LCL first. You know, if it's not, release popliteus. If it's a little tight... IT band, pie crusting, Z-plasty, off of Gerties, and then balance the knee. Now, the important thing here, and you know, even if we're talking about um, lateral releases, since we're kind of in that area of the knee, the important thing that I always reiterate to all of my patients is that, and more so with the lateral release, is that as soon as you start releasing stuff laterally, don't be alarmed and surprised if in two or three days you have a huge goose egg on the lateral aspect of your knee. And again, in training, it doesn't seem like a big deal. In practice, this is the thing that gets a phone call to your office two or three days after the patient's discharged. So if you can reiterate ahead of time, I had to release this tissue to balance your knee, you're probably going to see a large goose egg on the lateral side of your knee. Don't be surprised. Don't be alarmed. Um, And then those are the people that I more aggressively treat with compression with ACE wraps or thigh-high TED hose to prevent it from getting quite large. But the more information they have about what's going to occur, 
the less anxious they get, the less fearful, the less concerned, and it's one less phone call to you. Okay, um, so let's talk um, laxity. Um, so for number eight and nine. So number eight, um, let's talk about a knee, and I'm going to give you some time to think about this one, where you're tight in extension and you're loose in flexion. So tight in extension, loose in flexion. Okay, so again, so tight in extension, loose in flexion, but again, you have to ask the question, you know, what sort of knee implant were you doing? And then again, how loose in flexion is it? So if you don't have any, you know, posterior restraint and you're doing a cruciate retaining design, you know, the question is, can I just go to a dished poly? And does that increase the stability enough for the knee? Maybe. Okay. Maybe not. Do you have to go to a posterior stabilized design? You know, but again, if you have this cruciate there and your box cut, you may actually open up the flexion gap even more. So going to a posterior stabilized may stop that and prevent that. But the question is then, you know, do you have a posterior stabilized plus, you know, some implant companies, you know, make a post that is a little bit taller. Um, and the other issue is, you know, are you loose and going to a post? Are you going to increase the risk of dislocation and cam jump? So things you have to keep in mind. You know, the next option is what if you increase your poly thickness? Okay, now you've tightened up your flexion gap. You've balanced your flexion gap. But now you're really, really tight in extension. Okay, so maybe you have to go back and recut the distal femur. Um, the question is, did you go up one millimeter, two millimeters, four millimeters in your poly to balance your flexion gap? Because that's going to give you an idea of how many millimeters you have to release off the distal femur. Um, and then this goes back into, you know, is there posterior releases that you can strip the capsule off to help that? Or does it all have to be bony? Because, okay, now let's say you needed it for whatever reason. Um, you cut, you know, too small of a femoral component. And now you've had to put four millimeters, you know, poly in there to balance your flexion gap. You know, maybe you went to a PS... Um, and now you had to cut more distal femur to balance that. What did that do to your joint line? You know, what does that do to your patellar femoral mechanics? You know, what does that do to your range of motion and your mid-flexion stability? So again, all important things to think about. And the most important thing to take away from some of these cases when you have these huge mismatches is what did I do to get myself into that place? You know, if you over-resected the distal or the posterior condyles because you misjudged your sizing, you know, the question is why, you know, why did you not accurately size your femur or was there something, or maybe, you know, it was tight, but you removed some osteophytes and now you're loose. So it's important things to kind of think about, but, you know, really, really tight in extension, loose inflection, you know, think about adding stability, dished, PS, you know, if you still need more poly, you may have to go back and then recut your distal femur to balance the increased poly thickness that you need to balance yourself in flexion and then just be aware of what that does to your joint line. Okay, number nine. Um, so number nine is that, but the opposite. So now you're tight in flexion, but you're loose in extension. So tight in flexion, loose in extension. Okay, so for this one, we were tight in flexion, but loose in extension. So, you know, again, one of the options is if we're loose in extension, we can increase our poly thickness, but now we're even tighter in flexion. So the question is how tight? And it kind of goes back to the other algorithm because, you know, if we're a little tight, maybe we re release the PCL, maybe sacrifice the PCL, go to a dish. Um, maybe you release the PCL, go to a PS. Maybe you keep the cruciate retaining implant or posterior um, stabilized implant. And because you've increased your poly thickness, now you're actually going to downsize your femoral component, taking everything off the back to loosen up your flexion gap. 
The other option, though, to keep in mind is maybe you over-resected your distal femur. And again, learn from the mistake that, you know, what did you do or see that caused you to take too much distal femur? And now the question is, if there's no way to really make this up with a couple of millimeters, but you're talking like a four or five or more millimeter difference, the thing is, hopefully you have it in your hospital, you called for it, you can go to a revision component where now you're going to add distal augments on your femoral component. So you add your distal augments to bring your joint line distally, which is going to tighten up your extension gap. Um, you're still going to have to do something in your flexion gap to balance that. So again, you may have to release your PCL or downsize your femoral component. But if you're significantly loose in extension because you've over-resected your distal femur, you don't want to elevate your joint line excessively and throw off your knee kinematics. So you know, that's a whole lot of information, you know, in a nutshell. Again, the big, big takeaways is that if you examine your knee and you check your balancing after you've done the bulk of your procedure, you know, always make a habit of reassessing your bone cuts, reassessing your limb alignment, reassessing the slope on your tibia, reassessing your implant sizes, medial lateral, um, and figuring out if all of that is okay, then what am I going to do? What is tight? What is loose? What are my options available? And also being prepared before the case and making sure that, you know, if you're going CR, that you have PS backup, if it's a complicated case, you know, that you may have revision components available or even stabilized designs, you know, and try to anticipate, you know, knees that are severely varus or valgus, you know, what sort of releases might you have to do based on is the deformity mild, moderate, severe? Is it fixed or is it correctable? And this way you at least have a plan going in. Because like I always say, you know, a total knee is very much like these choose your own adventure books, you know, because every time that you go into the knee, no matter how much you template and, and if you use computer navigation and Mako, you can put all this stuff on your computer and you can kind of figure out where these implants look perfect. But when you start going in there and you start releasing and removing bone spurs, and then you start making decisions on, do I take two more now? Do I leave it here? Do I downsize because it's wide? If, I, if it's too wide and I downsize, you know, what has that done to my flexion gap? You know, maybe by accident, you transect the popliteus or the PCL, you were planning on leaving it. So, you know, kind of going through the sequence and as you go through, have an idea of what I did now may affect the outcome at the end and thinking ahead to know that if I did this and that happens, I'm going to do this. And if I did this and this happens, I'm going to do that. And as long as you're always thinking, you're always going to have a way to address, fix, and balance the knee well. And that's the thing that we hope gives the patient the best possible outcome. So thanks again for listening. Again, if you have uh, friends, colleagues that you really think would enjoy and benefit from the information of this podcast, please pass on the link to them. And again, if you enjoy the information, please leave a review. It's really helpful for me to get this in front of other people and their search engines. Um, and again, if you have a very specific topic or you want to hear something um, that I haven't spoken about yet and get my two cents on that, you know, shoot me an email, you know, DM me, find me, and then I'd be happy to kind of cover those topics in future episodes. Again, you've been listening to the Total Knee Tips and Pearls podcast. I'm Adam Rosen. Thanks for listening. And until next time, stay safe. You've been listening to the Total Knee Tips and Pearls podcast. 
make sure that you're subscribed so you'll be notified of future episodes. And please take the time to leave a review. It helps other people like you find the show. Until next time, stay safe.